This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. This is supposed to be a shorter message. It's funny when you start out that way and then someone looks at, you know, they can see the time clock on it, you know, on a podcast or on a video. It's like, oh, that boy, Eric sure did blow it on this one. But I don't know. And I really desire God, one of the reasons I wanted it to be short is so that I had more room to maneuver in this one and allow the Spirit of God to do whatever he wanted, which he could just say, Eric, we really want to be short today. And so it, it has every potential to be very short today. At the same time, who knows what could happen? It could be the longest message I've ever given. I doubt that, okay? Don't, don't, don't uh, tremble in your seat. <clears throat> so the name of this message is Spiritual Recalibration. And let me just define recalibration for those of you that think that's too big of a word for a title. This is from the Cambridge English Dictionary. It means to make small changes to an instrument so that it measures accurately. I don't know why this is, but we are sort of like instruments or, or machines where they need to be tended to often. I, I remember Hudson and I were going through, uh, what was it, Rifle? Uh, no, it wasn't Hudson. It was Kip. Kip and I were at uh, uh, Colorado Youth Outdoors. Remember, we were, was it Rifle? And they were teaching us how to clean the whole thing. Is that what it was? Or was it shotgun? I don't remember what that was, but maybe they're the same thing. You guys are, I don't know much about guns, and I think I even repel knowledge about it. You know how it tries to get in, and I'm like, no, I don't want to know. Uh, but we had to clean the crazy thing. And then they're going all out of their way saying, you know, and if you really want to keep your gun well and it's going to function well, you have to do this all the time. It's like, wow, who wants to mess with guns if you have to clean them like that? But the same thing is true about the human soul, is that it has to be maintained with that sort of focus. It's like, hey, did you clean your soul out today? It's like, why do I need to do that all the time? Because gunk builds up in it. And it's interesting, but you get slightly off. And that's where recalibration is. It's a tuning. And we get off, and we don't realize we're off. And then if you don't realize you're off, you get more off. And then time passes, and you're actually pretty far off from where you think you actually are which is why we need to go through this process of cleaning the gun every now and then. I probably should use a different uh, metaphor, lest I have to actually you know, describe how you do it. I can't remember anything. I just remember doing it. Okay, So, uh, so we're going to call this spiritual recalibration. To allow the Holy Spirit to make small changes to our thinking, living, and behaving so that we reveal the kingdom of heaven correctly. Some of us have a tendency to be rather dogged about where we're at right now. Uh, you know, I, I've made statements like, the church isn't very healthy right now. And there's people that get mad at that. I don't know why they do. Uh, but they feel like they need to somehow justify where things are at. That it's fine. Everything's fine. We have these people out there like Eric Ludy that are always saying we need to change. You know, that oh, things are going downhill. And that everything's fine. And of course, I want to say back, it's like, there is no way with my eyes wide open that I'm going to agree with that statement. And so as a result, it's difficult because sometimes we see things that other people don't see. And that can be frustrating for us. And sometimes it's just knowing how to rightly speak it so that it is encouraging because some people are 
in a, that position where they stick their heels into the ground and they go, no, I am not going to change. I'm fine the way I am. It's a dangerous place to be, and I just want, sort of want us all to check our position today. Are we justifying where we're at saying, I'm fine? Yeah, I, I have enough spiritual focus in my life. Jesus has enough of my life. He doesn't need more. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm living, my relationships are, are fine enough, are good enough. I, I don't need to change that. The way I handle my practical life, the way I handle my finances, the way I handle my, uh, my I was going to say grooming, I don't know if that's, that sounds like a really funny thing to add in. It's fine. I, I'm just as good as I need to be. If you have that type of attitude, it's probably the place the Holy Spirit needs to put his finger on. The opposite attitude doesn't mean that you are wrong or that you even need to change. It's just that you're ready to. And you're like, Lord, if there is anything in me that needs to be adjusted, please show me. I don't want to justify myself where I'm at and actually miss what you are desiring to do. I want to be pliable. I want to be malleable to you. And the Puritans used to call it uh, makeshift rationalizations, where you sort of know that you're a little off and you feel the conviction or the prick, but you come up with a rationalization of why you're fine. And the human mind, even though you might not think that you're that smart, you know what? You're pretty smart when it comes to justifying your sin. Have you ever noticed that, how creative your mind will be? It's like, I don't think this will matter. I think God would understand this. I think it's okay if I do this. It's amazing how sharp we can be when we're trying to justify sin or create a makeshift rationalization. However, where you have makeshift rationalizations, it's actually harming you. And so what we need to allow the Spirit of God to do is freshly just sort of come through our life and say, you see this here, that's a makeshift rationalization. Do you mind if we dismantle that? Do you mind if we return to the Word of God so that we can do this right? God desires to use your life, and there's a maximum use of your life. There's an effectiveness to your life, but when you begin to break down, your life is no longer able to be used the way God intended it to be. And as a result, it's important that we freshly come back and say, God, all right, here I am. This is how I am spending my time. This is the job I have. This is how I'm spending my money. This is how I'm spending my time. This is how my relationships are. Do you have something better? Because if so, I want it. So the reason I'm even bringing this up is because I feel like Leslie and I are going through this exact same thing. I feel like with some of the facets of our life, like with Dan, Sandy, and Grace transitioning to Belize, it forces me to say, Lord, I mean, that's a big chunk of, of Ellerslie right there. I mean, you take the McConaughey's out of Ellerslie and move them on the mission field, and we're so excited for them, right? But how does that affect us here? Lord, are we supposed to just keep moving forward the way we have, or are we supposed to freshly check and say, do you have something different for us? Do you want us to do it the same way, or do you have a new way of doing it? And so that's what's starting it, but then it's also moving into different things. Like I, I was using the illustration yesterday, Leslie and I were, were talking, about just the burdens I have in my life, and I have, let, let's say, three key burdens that are pretty easy uh, to describe, because I have a lot. I could break it down probably into 40, but let's just break it down into, into three. I have like family, 
which could be marriage. It could be my, you could even put the relationship with God there. It's core relationship, okay? So my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, and then extend from there. And then you have what we could just call ministry function or parachurch function, which is what Ellerslie is. In other words, we're serving the big body of Christ. And that's through our training or any of the ancillary things we do. And then you have like church. Okay, so church function right here, the local community, those relationships and so on. Am I going in and out, by the way? Is everything fine? Uh, and so in this, one of the things I've noticed is sometimes if you were to ask me what my passions are, like where I feel God's put weight, I would say it's right there in my relationship with him, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids. And yet it doesn't always get the same amount of emphasis as I feel God has given me conviction for. Sometimes Ellerslie takes up mm, about 90% of my time, but it is there on the table, but it's like inflated in what it gets out of my life. And as a result, I feel like there can be an imbalance where maybe a spiritual recalibration needs to take place. Like maybe something needs to go and shrink in size and something else needs to go and make it all big again, the way it's supposed to be. Easier said than done. If any of you have ever gone through one of these things where you recognize your job has eaten up your time and then you're suddenly thinking, well, what else am I supposed to do? My family needs to eat. This is the one job I can get. You know, and so you have your things that you say to yourself, again, I'm going to call those makeshift rationalizations, instead of saying, I know what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes you have to face those hard moments where you need to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to make a choice for this, even if it costs me in other areas. And you have to shift your emphasis where it is supposed to be. And so I'm not even trying to forecast that I'm doing anything or that God has convicted me to like, do something extreme. I don't have any of that. As far as I know, this next year, I'm doing exactly what we did the year before. We're doing Ellerslie. We're doing the church. We're moving it. However, I always want to lay it before God and say, God, do you have a finer way of doing it, a better way of doing it that actually maximizes the areas of my life which are supposed to be maximized and de-emphasizes areas that I'm not supposed to have so much time on? These are all important, but God, show me how to do this. So we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 10, and it's Mary and Martha. And if you hang around Ellerslie, you've heard this story many times. It's not going to hurt you to hear it again. Now it happened as they went that he entered, speaking of Jesus, a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken away from her. So we have two characters, and Jesus is showing up in their house. Martha is actually probably more like us than we are like Mary. The, we, you know, the hero in the story is Mary, and Martha seems to be the one that gets the rebuke, right? But technically, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have a tendency, and it could be a cultural thing, I'm not exactly sure. Okay, I know that in my makeup, I default to Martha, and then always have to labor to, to grab a hold of the Mary mentality. It's not native to me. 
I don't know if it's native to someone else. You know, in here it's, oh, Mary's so easy. However, some of us, you know, we, we look at Mary and, and she seems like she's not laboring. She's allowing her sister to do all the work. She's sitting there at Jesus' feet. Have you ever had someone who's like, no, I'm going to spend the evening praying? You know, what they really mean is, you know, lounging around. You know, they're really not working. And that's, you can sort of look at Mary as if she's lounging around. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. And yet Jesus is going to defend something because I do believe she was genuinely sitting at Jesus' feet listening to her word, listening to his word. And there is something about this that is very interesting to my soul. And whenever I'm going through a recalibration time, this is usually the story that God brings me back to. I don't know if that's a similar thing for any of you, the rest of you in here. But when I look at Martha, I see a right value system. If someone was going to come over to your house after uh, service today, and your house was a little messy, okay, because you weren't expecting them to come over, and you didn't have, you know, your food all together, the table wasn't set, could you imagine how you would run your home, okay? What would be appropriate to just come in and sit on the couch and uh, let all the mess just sort of be there? And you had to say something like, I'm so sorry about the mess, and then actually pick some things up, right? Make, make them comfortable, how about preparing the food? You don't just sit around and hope the food prepares itself. You're going to bustle around and prepare the food. This is just what we do. This is good hospitality. You try and convince me that being a good, hospitable person is wrong. In fact, I can prove in the Bible that it's a good thing to do. So what Martha's doing, as far as I'm concerned, looks perfectly fine to me. And the fact that she's distracted with much serving, what's wrong with that? So here's my point. Martha isn't doing something wrong as much as she is not doing something that is more right. You see, what she's doing is right, but it's not the most right. And this is what many of us get stuck in. The way we're living our life is right, but it's not more right. It's not as right as it should be, which is where the adjustments come in. In other words, I could justify, if you were to examine my life, it's like, look, I'm doing this, I have this prayer time, I have this study time, I have the time with my wife, I have the time with my kids, I have the time at Ellerslie, I'm diligently working all day long, every day. You can't poke holes in that. And yet Jesus comes in and starts poking holes in it. But it's not because he's saying, you're not supposed to spend time with me. You're not supposed to spend time with your wife. You're not supposed to spend time with your kids. That, that isn't the point. It's that oftentimes I'm caught being busier in areas of my life or even having attitudes that are not as uh, relationally binding to me and my God. In other words, just studying your Bible isn't necessarily having fellowship with your God. And many of us can begin to slide into that where we're not cultivating the affection and the intimacy and the devotional relationship with God. We're going through motion because we know it's right. And God has to touch that and say, but uh, we need to amp that up to more right again. You see, it's missing something. And that can be the same with your relationship with your spouse. You can do, you know, could spend the time and, you know, put in the hours, uh, you know, even, you know, bring home the, uh, the, the roses and, the, you know, write a rhyme, you know, on the sides. Like, I need to get a poem written real quick. Oh, here you go. We can do it, but lack the affection, lack the true depth of meaning, the pursuit in it. You see, what you see in this story between Martha and Mary is you're seeing Martha doing that which is right, but Mary truly understanding what is needed in the moment. 
I don't think Jesus is saying it's bad to put on the pot roast and to set the table, that it's bad to keep a good home. I don't think that would be the point of this. I think it's, do you see what Mary is doing? This is what you should be doing right now, Martha. And for many of us, we need that fresh correction to our soul that what you're doing is right. It's good. I'm glad you're being hospitable, but could we upgrade to the point where you're sensitive that when Jesus is sitting in the parlor, that you would sit at his feet? This is just a better way of doing it. This is a better use of your time. This is the maximized use of this life, Martha. Mary's got it. She's figured it out. You are missing it right now. But Jesus, I am doing what you taught me to do. I'm getting up early and having a quiet time. And then I'm, you know, uh, writing, you know, answering my emails. And I'm even sending a note to my wife saying, I love you. And then I'm, you know, spending time with my kids and teaching them math. And then we could do it all right and still be off. And losing that special something, that dimension that comes from obedience to the Holy Spirit, when he corrects us, and many of us, have experienced, many of us in here have experienced this, that we can go from flat in our spiritual life to suddenly vibrant. What, what was the difference? We didn't even know that we were flat in our spiritual life, but then suddenly we heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are impacted by a message. He speaks to us in his way. And we agree with it, and suddenly there is life that shoots back in. We didn't even know that we were dead. But we had started to grow languid. We had started to grow soft. We had started to grow mediocre in our affections. And we need the Spirit of God to freshly aliven us. This is what I crave. I crave what we've been praying for in our home, a fresh vision. I have a vision. If you asked me my vision, I could probably articulate my vision better than most people on earth because I spend so much time under, you know, before God saying, God, what do you want me to do with this life? But that doesn't mean that my vision can't have barnacles that grow on it, that I can't get a little off and say, well, the reason I'm doing this, it sounds very much like Martha. Jesus is in the house. I need to get the roast on. I need to get the table set. This is what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus needs to freshly stick his hand on my shoulder and say, Eric, Eric, you're distracted right now because I have something for you right now that is different than what you have preconceived because you're just in your rhythm. You're just doing what you know you're supposed to do, but I have something I want to do that is beyond that. Are you open to that? Well, God, who's going to take the roast out of the oven? That's usually not my problem, by the way. I'm not usually cooking roasts. However, I do have that sort of feeling when I think about my life. Well, who's going to get daily thunder put together? How are we going to do this? I mean, I could go through a whole list of things that Ellerslie is responsible for keeping up and doing. And if I'm just sitting at Jesus's feet, who's going to do that? And so seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There is a focus of the believer that is heavenward. First, not on things of this earth first, and then saying, God, I'll fit you in once I solve these things of the earth. But it's first and foremost heavenly. And when we adjust our thinking heavenward first, he'll take care of all the other things in our life. It doesn't mean he won't use us to do it. In other words, I think he's just as interested in us not burning the pot roast as Martha would be, right? And yet, he says, will you come in here and sit at my feet first? And if we tend to those things, 
and we choose the better part, then God sets all the other things in our life in order. I was uh, giving a devotional this last week, and one of the, the, the statements I made was, Leslie's dad, whose name is Rich, made a statement, and he said, one thing that I've found in my life is that life has too much in it to actually get done. But when you give first fruits of your day to Jesus Christ and you offer them to him, that you have the ability to get more done in your day than you ever could otherwise. And it doesn't make any sense rationally, but when you give him the first of your day, you are more efficient in the rest. And it's just a, it's a principle of life. You make your first decision to sit at his feet and to say, Lord, what do you want with my day? Instead of presuming you know what to do with your day, right? Martha's presuming that she's supposed to bustle around and be hospitable to Jesus. She has it all figured out because this is what she's good at. Well, I'm good at certain things too, so I obviously I'm going to default to it. It's like, okay, I'm going to bustle around and be really good at what I do. And God needs to freshly put his hand on my shoulder and say, Eric, come on. It's like, who's going to get that done? Eric, my purpose for you isn't just to get things done. It's that you would know me. And when you know me, you will get things done, but you will get them done with power. You will get them done in a way that changes the world instead of just, you know, puts in time and, you know, gets some sweat out of it. I want to be efficient in my life. I want this life, known as Eric Ludi, to be maximized on this earth. I don't know how many days I have left on this earth, but I do want it to be used for the glory of God. It's a genuine desire. And I could just imagine that Martha would probably say the same. And yet there's a way that you can do it that is right, and there's a way that is more right. So recalibrating Martha. Is it right to prepare the house to set the table to serve Jesus well? Yes. But it is more right to do what Mary did. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience. That's a pretty good list. In other words, the church at Ephesus is doing some good things. They're doing some right things. And I have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Why would you need to put a nevertheless in there? You ever felt that? It's like, Martha, I appreciate that you're wanting to serve me today. That pot roast smells really good. I, there is nothing in the Bible that it was a pot roast that she was busted, by the way. And the way you've set the table is immaculate. I love how you have, you know, the silverware right where it's supposed to be in the, in the, the glasses or, you know, or where they're supposed to be. Everything is just the way that the etiquette book would teach you, right? However, Martha, Martha, nevertheless, even with that great list of things that they're accomplishing, which are right, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Something in the affection department, something in the relationship department, all the externals are still in place, but something is dimmed that probably the church of Eph at Ephesus doesn't realize is dimmed, just like it happens in our life. We don't always recognize that the lights are slowly turning low. It's like that one, what is it, the toad in the... Uh, 
the water that is getting hotter and hotter and becoming boiling, and eventually the toad just boils to death but doesn't actually recognize it. The same thing can happen to us in an ever-darkening way that we lose our first love, that we lose that excitement of knowing Jesus, that enthusiasm of being in his presence, that desire to hear his voice, that we're not in a rush, we just want to be with him. And yes, there's cares in this world, but we trust that Jesus is going to take care of them. Instead, we have a tendency to swap out, and now the cares in this world are what we're doing. But we do it as if it's under God, and we're caring for the cares of this world as if it's under God. We're providing for our family, we're doing this, we're, you know, so that we could have this, we go to church on Sunday, we have our form, but we lose the more right. I don't want us to do that. I desire us to be recalibrated. And so to the degree, and you may be perfectly healthy this morning, but to the degree that you might have a little softness here or a little coolness here in your soul where there needs to be warmth Let's allow the Spirit of God to adjust us. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. It says, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus just said a whole bunch of good things about the church at Ephesus, and yet he has something against them. There is something that is not right. And I don't want us to be the church of Ephesus today. I want us to be the church that is ready to do the first things and repent. There are first things. I don't know if that makes sense to you what first things would be. But for me, if I were to even go back in time to, the, have you ever had it where you look back, you're like, oh, my relationship with God was so pure back then. It was so innocent. It was so flavorful. It was so, I had an expectation that God was going to do something every day. Every conversation I was in, I was thinking, God's orchestrated this. All right, give me words, Lord, to speak into this. And every unbeliever around you was an opportunity. Remember those days? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't stop short and accept a bland version of Christianity and say, hey, this is just the way it is. Let's fight to regain that which God assigned us to do. I've had it in my life where I have been on fire for lost souls. And then I have it where I theologically know that lost souls are important, but I have no fire. I've had it where I'm on fire for the orphan and the widow. And then I theologically just know that the orphan and the widow are important. There's a big difference between the two, and I understand that distinction because I've walked through it many times over, where you can slowly dim in your intensity. If there is something in your life, we'll call it your first works, those moments where you saw something clearly, the value of a lost soul, the value of spending time with Jesus, the value of the orphan and the widow, then come before God today and say, God, I don't want to just be right in my theology I want to be more right and have my soul set aflame by you. I want you living inside of me. I want you feeling through me. I want you longing through me. And that's where I want to be too. I have a passion to see the church of Jesus Christ knit together, functioning together as the body of Christ, denominations. I have a desire to strengthen that which remains before it dies in this generation, to see the church regain its lust, regain its epic form. It's a good desire. 
But sometimes this soul of Eric Ludi can grow tired in doing it because it seems to be going in the opposite direction. But it's important for me to freshly go back to the relationship, the personal relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And not just talk epic, but actually leave the kitchen where I'm producing all this majestic statements and come into the parlor and sit down at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, this is where it starts. And I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this communion that I have with you. And if I have to lose everything I have to hold on to this, my answer is yes. I will give up all that I possess, all the earthly position I have, all the earthly respect, all that I do to maintain that which matters most. And I would say the same about my marriage and say the same about my family. If any of those things are being robbed from, if they are threatened, Eric immediately opens his hand and says, it all is ready to go. I want to do this one thing, this one life that I have to live right. But to do that, I need to be sensitive to not allow first love to diminish, to not allow a moral lassitude, a spiritual lassitude, a spiritual softness to creep into my soul. I could be doing everything right, but there may be a more right that God is asking of me. Repent and do the first works. When the first love dims, that is what we're called to do. Repent. Just change direction, alter course on the fly. You know what is supposed to be done. And many of us are going to justify why we can't do it. I can't really spend that much time with Jesus Christ. You know, Leslie and I have proven that to be a faulty statement many times over in our life because we can be very busy people. Both of us are sort of that type A and we love to produce, which is why I still think we hold the record for the most books written by a couple in their 20s, okay? In world history, right? Production. We love to produce and at the same time, when we felt God was moving us to prayer, we recognized we don't have time for prayer. And then you have to stop and say, who's telling me that? What's telling me that? My, my life and all the things that I'm busy with? How about I question those things instead of questioning if I have time for prayer? What needs to go so that I have time for prayer? What needs to go so that I have time for God? What needs to go so that I have time with my wife? What needs to go so that I have time with my kids? That's a better question. Instead of, oh, I don't have time for this. That is not coming from heaven, going, oh, I just wish you had time, but you don't. Each of us has to agree with what matters most in our lives. One of the, the great, I'd say, driving principles of our marriage and our ministry is starting with knowing what matters most. And it does not mean that, you know, at the end of the chain, you know, those things, those people don't matter because oftentimes it ends up being people. But I need to know where God sits in this whole thing. And my God is the most important relationship, the most important thing in my life. And so if anyone ever asks me to deny Christ, even though they're threatening to kill my wife and kids, I want my wife and my kids to know I can never violate that relationship with my God. And even because I love them, I will not do that. Even because I love you, I will not do that. And the same thing cascades down. If something is violating my relationship with my wife, it should be cut out. Simply put, 
That is a sacred relationship that is an assignment for life till death parts us. It is a priority relationship. My kids are a unique assignment. And it does not diminish your kids in my life as if I don't care about them, but my kids are a unique If I am reaching your kids but not reaching mine, then that has to be called into question. I need to make sure that I'm securing that which is primary in my life as a means of loving your kids. If my kids see me loving them to the exclusion of my own kids, I'm actually not loving your kids. I'm not modeling the kingdom of heaven. So one of the things that I say to the students at Ellerslie is if Leslie needs to get in touch with me and I'm right in the middle of speaking, I'll drop everything and I'll be available to Leslie. And you know, all the Ellerslie students will go, excuse me? And what are we, chopped liver? No, you're not chopped liver. You're very valuable, and the way I would disciple is by stopping. Far more from me by me stopping speaking and heeding my wife than you would by me ignoring my wife and saying, I'll get to that later. Leslie is only gonna interrupt me in a session if it's an emergency, okay? Believe me, she doesn't want to draw any attention to herself, right? But if it is important, she has access to me. If any of my kids need me, and I've had some funny moments, I won't mention any kid names, where when we had little Ellerslie over here, uh, our school, and if any of the kids had any need for some daddy attention, then the teachers could actually send a note over and someone would walk up and I'd get the thing that's like, so-and-so needs a little daddy attention. So we could have just taken a break two minutes earlier. I'll be like, hey guys, we're going to take a five-minute break. Wouldn't need to say what it was about. And I would run across campus and give a little daddy attention and then run back and say, okay, guys, let's get going. Any of the kids want to guess? No, I'm not going to. So, but what does that do? It's discipling in priority. But sometimes the Spirit of God and His voice gets diminished down the list because it's not seen. You don't know that God might be convicting me in something, so I'm not discipling you as clearly by heeding it or not heeding it, whereas when I get a note, it's pretty clear. However, to truly lead the church of Jesus Christ, Eric Ludi needs to be sensitive to that voice. And if God is saying a different path, a different direction, a different emphasis, yes, Lord. Even if the consequences of that become severe, even if it means I lose a significant amount, even if it means people get upset with me, yes, Lord. And this is what I want for each and every one of us, that we would freshly come before the throne of grace and say, Lord, I'm available to you. These are my priorities. If something is violating that priority, the answer is no. Choose Jesus. Choose the priorities that he has assigned for you. Say yes to that. And if you have to deal out some no's to everything that is attempting to interfere, you do that. Is it time to recalibrate? Only you know the answer to that. For me, I'm just in a mode where I don't know if God's going to change anything. That's actually where I'm at. It's sort of fun, sort of exciting. It's like, God, I've been setting before him every different thing that we're doing right now. I, if, you, if you said, where is Ellerslie going? What is Ellerslie doing? I could speak for a long time and give you vision, plans, designs, all sorts of things. We're, we're renovating the campus. You know, The Ludi family's planning on building here on the north end. We have all sorts of dreams and plans, all of that before God. God, what do you desire? And he may just say, I've already told you, let's keep going. However, he also might refine it, fine tune it. And that's what I want. 
I want to be fine-tuned right now. I want to be freshly sharpened for his glory. I don't want to lose my first love. In, meanwhile, I'm proclaiming the glory of God to the nations. That doesn't make any sense. I want to hold on to first love Jesus, first love Leslie, first love children. And I don't want to lose that. So many ministers of the gospel lose their first loves in the process of reaching the nations for Jesus Christ. Yes, it is ridiculous. I agree. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, understanding that, well, well, it's not happening here. Lord Jesus, first things first. If there is a need for repentance in your life, if there is a need to turn from a wrong direction, a wrong emphasis, an overemphasis in something that God isn't emphasizing at that level, then let's do it. Let's repent and do first things. Father, all of this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of Eric Ludian and through a sermon. Lord, just as I'm asking for clear vision, clear sight, I ask that you would give that to every single person here. Lord, what is it that you desire of us? Are we bustling about in, in a kitchen when we're supposed to be seated at your feet? Lord, show us. Show us how to live our lives in a way that honors you. Show us if we have a diminishment of our first love. Lord, we want you to reign supreme. We want our affectionate relationship with you to be cultivated afresh today. Lord, return us to first things. We love you, Lord. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.